Welcome to another edition of The Policy Shop, the podcast for the Illinois Policy Institute. I'm Joe Kaiser, and today we're going to be talking about TIF districts, that's tax increment financing districts, of which in Chicago there are plenty. It's a complicated subject, but Illinois Policy Institute Director of Outreach Chris Lentino, who's pretty passionate about the subject, will help walk us through it. Chris explains what a TIF district is exactly, and what it's intended for, as well as how Chicago politicians misuse them, often for their own benefit. Chris also explains how the practice has spread and been abused in other parts of the state. That analysis and more is right here, and it starts right now. So a TIF is... Uh, an area of the city where they uh, say that it's it's blighted, um, it's uh, has economic downturns, and so they uh, do this designation for 23 years, where um, it takes the value of the land at the time that they put the TIF in place and freezes that valuation, and so anytime the value of that property goes up the money instead of going into property taxes goes to the TIF. Um, and then it's a separate fund, which is used for further development. So what would an example be of using development um, in a blighted area? Uh, so a good example is uh, in uh, just outside of uh, Lincoln Park, Lather Homes, which is at Diversity in the River, um, used to be a CHA site and, uh, they wanted to redevelop it, redevelop it for, um, you know, residential use. And in order to do that, they wanted to entice the developer with, uh, funds, but they didn't have a TIF in place. So they put a TIF in place on that land and, um, then started building using the recaptured funds. Now, that's a little bit of a an anomaly because since it was owned by CHA previously, there was no property taxes being paid, which means that every cent of the property taxes for the Lathrop homes was actually going into the TIF um, instead of um, like being frozen at a certain level and then everything above it going into the TIF. So, but instead of, so this money that's going into this this special fund then is money if if there wasn't the 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 TIF district set up that money would instead be going to things that property taxes usually go to though that yeah. would be the counter argument yeah so in in Chicago um about 50% kind of fluctuates uh, a percentage here percentage there um about 50% goes to CPS of your property taxes um the city of Chicago gets about 23% or so and then all of the other taxing bodies get their percentage and so because of the TIF, anytime the value goes up uh, of that property, the money doesn't go to those uh, taxing bodies. It goes into the TIF instead. So those taxing bodies don't get to see that money until the TIF expires. And how much of Chicago is a TIF district? So the last report uh, was that um, a third of the city of all property tax revenue goes into a TIF. 
So that's a third of the city is considered by the city blighted and is instead taking money that would have gone to schools and is going to some sort of flush fund for a developer. Yeah, of the revenue. So so a third of the revenue that's coming in is deemed as in blighted area. Um, it's not a, a third of all properties in, in uh, are, are not considered TIF, but uh, the money. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so how, how many of those areas that are being considered blighted and are under TIF districts, would you say, I mean, you don't have to give an actual number, but how many are actually blighted versus... Um, this is just an area being designated for a slush fund. Well, so Chicago has 143 TIF districts. So for me to say uh, that of that 143, what a number is of of who is what's actually blighted and not is is hard to actually determine uh, without actually going step by step through each individual TIF and how much uh, money they're taking in. What I can say is that the top five TIFs account for half of all of the money that's going into TIFs. And so when I say the top five districts, um, those five districts are all in, you know, well-to-do areas. Uh, the, the loop, uh, LaSalle Central TIF, uh, which is the, the biggest revenue generator, which is located uh, along LaSalle Street um, in the which loop. Is, which is where we are which right now. Which is where we recording. are right now, yes. Uh, uh, coming to you live from the LaSalle Central <laughs> TIF. Uh, is the is the biggest one, and uh, that one brought in uh, fifty seven million dollars last year uh, alone. And uh, the thing that's hard to swallow about that is that that TIF is only twelve years old, which means it's still got another eleven years before it expires. So every year, year after year, there's going to be millions and millions of dollars coming from the downtown TIF that is not going to CPS. Well, so here's, here's a hang up then. If, if the concept makes sense to people, I think once you, uh, not a lot of people might know about TIF districts, but once you explain the concept that this is for a blighted area and it's going to development in the blighted area, it kind of makes sense. But then it's a head scratcher that you can get away with creating a slush fund in, a, in an area like this. An area like LaSalle Street, anyone who's, who's come downtown and has walked up and down LaSalle Street knows that this, this is called the financial district, and, and this is where our office is, and, and there are banks, and the Federal Reserve is two doors down. How, do they, how, does, how does the city get away with making this a TIF district? So the, the state law, uh, which was put in place in 1977, um, gives certain guidelines for what is considered blighted. Um, and of course the first thing you think of blight is, um, you think of some of these areas on like the far West side, um, industrial areas, which have, you know, rundown buildings, things like that. Um, but how they get away with it downtown is that, um, occupant occupancy rates is considered, uh, one measure of blight. And so if, uh, a building is only so, uh, only has so many tenants, it can be deemed as blighted. Uh, the simple age of the building. So some of these buildings that we're in down here are not new buildings. They've been rehabbed. They've been fixed up since they were initially built. Uh, but because they are a certain age, they can be deemed as blighted as well. Um, there's a couple other uh, elements to what the definition of blight is that 
again, can be used to their advantage. And it's unfortunate because it, it really discounts some of the areas that most need it. In fact, um, in that, uh, in the Cook County Clerk's report, which he puts out every year, he takes a look at the top five districts and how much money they're bringing in and the bottom five districts and what they're bringing in. And the bottom five districts bring in almost nothing. And when I say almost nothing, I mean literally almost nothing, maybe $1,000. Um, they bring in no money because there's there's no growth in valuation on these properties because nothing's being done there. So it seems like the mayor and city hall kind of know then that they're, the use of these is not for a, a specifically actual blighted area, but to where to capture the most wealth. And then the process of picking a developer to work with, how does that work? How do, how do, how does the mayor and, 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 uh, and city hall and, and, and their, their, um, their intentions, how do those manifest itself in picking developers to work with? Well, city hall is very protective of their TIFs. If you, if you ask an alderman, if they'll give up their TIF, most of them will say no, because they view it as a means to get that added bonus to their neighborhoods. Um, uh, one alderman who is particularly uh, defensive is uh, uh, Walter Burnett, who covers part of the n- near north side and over by um, the United Center as well. And he w- he doesn't want to give up that because he's seeing growth in his neighborhoods and is trying to rebuild up the area over by the United Center uh, with additional TIF funds. Uh, but of course, not all of the aldermen have that benefit available to them. Uh, when when they actually do see some sort of development and they are, they've considered uh, a developer who wants to come in and, and build in a property because they see potential future growth, um, that developer will negotiate with uh, the, the mayor's uh, department of economic uh, development, I think is what they're calling as an aside. That department has changed names so many times. It changes names probably every couple of years. Um, I don't know if that's by design because they want to throw everybody yeah, off. Yeah, so you can't keep track of it. Or if it's just they can't decide and they're like, hey, this would be a real great name for it. We've really messed up the last time. And then they just keep changing right. it over it's and like over It's like the college of coaches for the Cubs in the 60s. You just change managers every two weeks. Yeah, you know, you just go, you play the matchups. That's right. pretty much what you do. <laughs> um, so... Uh, what ends up happening is, is that a developer will say, I really want to develop in this area. I want to put uh, a new building, which will have, uh, you know, fill in the blank, how many uh, new condos or apartments. Um, and I'm going to give uh, affordable housing units and things like that. Um, and so what they'll say is, but in order to do that, I'm going to need some assistance from the city. I'm going to need some TIF dollars uh, to help me with this project. And so then. They'll negotiate back and forth and they'll come up with a number and say, well, we'll give you $2 million in TIF funds, which will come from this TIF or the TIF next door to it. Uh, and we'll reimburse you for wh- what they deem are TIF eligible costs. Not everything can be used. Uh, it can be paid for by TIF uh, because, again, the state statute sets apart like what you can actually do. But um, on infrastructure, things like that, uh, you know, running new pipes to the building, uh, electrical lines, et cetera, et cetera. Those are some of the things that they can get and recoup. Do you think without those incentives, developers wouldn't 
ever build in Chicago? Because like you, you mentioned the near north side and the fact that that's good for the Alderman's district. I think, and maybe the regulatory climate would prevent this, but a lot of people would want to have a business in, in River North on the or near north side. Like if there wasn't the TIF incentive there, do you think that would just turn developers away or are they just kind of um, balking and, and waiting for the city to give in with a TIF incentive? Well, they know that the TIF incentive is there, so it's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna you know get this money one way or another, and it's gonna lower my costs so that this way I can get uh you know a bigger cut of the final deal. Um, and I think it would be a stretch to say that there's gonna be no development in any of these areas, uh, if there was TIF. I mean, that's part of the definition of of TIF, as they say. There would not be development if not for this entity, if not for TIF, there would not be development in this area, say River North, um, which was one of the first places that they had a TIF uh, in the state of Illinois was in in the River North slash North Loop area um, in the early 80s. And at that time, uh, River North was not how it is now. Uh, the Loop was not how it is now. Um, it. it it really has changed over time and evolved over time as people have said, you know what, we need a, a, a more thriving central business district. Um, and people started moving in and, and doing it that way. Um, did TIF play a part? I can't say. I mean, you know, to, to look back and to say that TIF did exactly what it was supposed to do in those neighborhoods, perhaps, but at the same time, it also has robbed the school districts and all of the other taxing bodies of revenue that they so desperately needed. And the only way for them to recoup those revenues is to raise other taxes and fees, which then just kind of rolls downhill onto taxpayers. So did it help somebody? Yeah, it helped the developers. Right. But did it help the people who lived in the area? That remains to be seen. Some of them may have recouped some of their costs when they've sold property, but that could have happened anyway. Right. So let's go back then to, to the 80s when you mentioned River North and, and the Loop really being built up. When, when along the lines did Chicago start to, for lack of a better word, and I think it's accurate, abuse the TIF districts? Well, they, they had a few TIF districts that were in the 80s, but it looked like really the, the explosion and use of TIFs didn't take place until the 90s. And actually, towards the late nineties, what were the motivating factors behind using it more? I, I I would imagine. I mean, I can't speak to what Mayor Daly and the City Council were thinking in the nineties, uh, but I imagine they saw, hey, this kind of worked for us in the River North area or the North Loop area. Let's do it everywhere in the city. Let's keep expanding. This is a great program. Um, but they didn't take a look at what other you know, they didn't look at the factors that were harmful. They only saw the benefit. They saw dollar signs and they saw great growth and everybody was going to be successful and thriving and the whole city was going to be great. And then they just ignored, which tends to be the case, especially when we think about like pensions in, in Illinois and Chicago, was just, well, we're going to ignore what's going on today. Uh, or excuse me, we're going to ignore what's going to happen in the future because we're going to take a look at what's going to happen today. Well, that's kind of the thing about Chicago is there's this image of tourism and and stuff and the, the loop and river north downtown when you go around millennium park's great navy pier's great people who come to the city from the suburbs or from a different state will see all that and think wow this is great 
but it's also also not what the city looks like, you know, in its downtown and its tourism areas. It's what the city's finances look like, which is the, the actual reality. And I think with the TIF districts, it's often like, hey, what we brought, look at LaSalle Street or look at um, Navy Pier, all these different places. Um, you're kind of ignoring the areas of the city that are actually blighted. It's like, hey, look over here. Look what this is doing. Look what the development is building over here. And you don't really want to talk about what's going on, on the west side or the far south side. That's that's kind of the view. I don't want to indict all politicians, but the view of, of many would be development downtown is great. So obviously this is a success. But that's ignoring a large swath of the city that's not seeing that kind of development. Yeah, I mean, they, what they do, and if you look at the city's budget and, and where they get a lot of money from, is they're trying to drive tourism dollars. So what's the best way to do that? You make downtown look great. You do brand new Millennium Park, Back thinking back when they actually did it. Right. Uh, let's make Navy Pier great. Let's build a giant Ferris wheel, which, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know anybody that's ridden on that Ferris wheel. I, I have a couple times, not not in a not in a, a few moons, but in high school a few times. It was it was all right. It was so, nice. So now I know one person yeah. that's ridden, <laughs> ridden on that Ferris wheel. But uh, you know, you do the things that the tourists are going to say. I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to pay the exorbitant hotel tax, the highest among the highest in the nation hotel tax, and then all of the other taxes that the city levies, especially in the downtown area. I'm going to pay all of that because look at how great this is and look at how, look at the awesome lake and all of that. And I'm not going to even venture out into some of these neighborhoods because I don't know the first thing of what's even going on there. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that of course, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I think Chicago is great. I, I, I do think even for all of its faults, which there are many, um, it's a it's, it has a lot of advantages to it. The natural beauty of the lake, um, the central location, the neighborhoods are 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 fantastic too. If, even if you discount the fact that some of them have crime problems or real blight problems with houses or buildings that are 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 falling apart, um, but I think you find that with a lot of major cities and. Um, I think probably the politicians know that people aren't going to go out into the neighborhoods, even as, as cool as they may be, because there's, there's nothing there for them. Um, so that's why they spend that money downtown and, and, and focus on the river walk or focus on, uh, I don't know, if, pick any number of these uh, new projects that they're doing in the area here. So, so what's the big issue then? I mean, if, if people aren't going to go to those neighborhoods and they... They go downtown and they take a selfie with the bean or they, they go to Harry Carey's at Navy Pier or go to City Winery down the Riverwalk and they have a nice time and they stay at the Palmer House and everything's great and they spend their tax dollars downtown. What is the big problem with TIFFs? Well, the, I mean, that's great that tourists get to enjoy the city as it is or even people from the suburbs or other parts of the city come downtown to enjoy the, the downtown area. But that's so short-sighted. It ignores the fact that it's taking money out of the hands of school children uh, who already have to deal with funding issues to begin with because most of the money is going towards teacher pensions and salaries. And so the money's not going into the classroom there. And then on top of it, you're saying, well, we're going to take, you know, in, in 2017, $660 million away from all of the taxing bodies. Uh, so the school district would get $330 million. 
uh, we're going to just take that away from you that you can't use to teach these kids what they need to know, or we're going to not fund essential city services. We're going to cut back to the point where if you've got a tree that's dead in your front yard, uh, like right up, right along the uh, parkway uh, that is actually owned by the city and that the city is responsible for, you're going to have to wait a couple of months for that tree to get taken down because we just don't have the money to do it. We do have the money to do it, and it's as simple as fixing the TIF situation. Well, you hear so many politicians, though, talk about need for more school funding and need for more funding on essential services. Are Chicago politicians not not connecting the dots and saying, you know, if we just ended these TIF districts, that would be a big boon for schools? Or is it more of a two-faced approach where they're like, this is good for my district, so I'm not going to touch this and we need to find school funding somewhere else? It's a little of both. Um, I mean, you know, you get people like Alderman Burnett who says, I, I don't want to give up any of my uh, TIF funding. And then you've got folks that are willing to give up their TIF funding in terms of surplus for the schools. Um, but they don't want to get rid of this program because they think that it's going to provide this added boom to the city that the city so desperately needs. Uh, but again, I mean, this is, it's Chicago, uh, Chicago politicians are, are known for being windy. Uh, and you know, I think that's how the city got its nickname. Are you sure about that? Because I think it might have to do something with the weather and like actual wind. It could be. It's a happy accident. I don't uh, know. Maybe. Maybe that might be it. So <laughs> let's pretend Mayor is Mayor Chris Lentino. What what is what is your reform for TIF districts in Chicago? So the 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 simple reform is not to immediately eliminate it. Um, immediately eliminating it would be great because there's a a, a cash infusion that that happens, um, but there are still areas of the city that might need help. Um, and so um, one of the things, uh, you know, pretend I'm actually not Mayor Chris, I'm actually Chris at the Illinois Policy Institute. Um, you know, we've worked with, uh, we've worked with folks in Springfield to um, actually reform the system. And uh, two bills that are out there, uh, which have gotten bipartisan support, uh, Senate Bill 2880 and House Bill 5230 um, basically changes the definition of blight to say if you are in an area where the area median income is 100%, it's 100% of area median income, which is determined by the federal government, then you can determine it as blight and blighted, and you can have a TIF district. That prevents areas like LaSalle Central, uh, 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 I think it's uh, mid north, uh, midwestern things like that. The the TIF districts that are bringing in millions and millions of dollars because they are not in blighted areas, um, that takes them off the table, and it actually puts, hopefully, areas that might need that support, uh, to the forefront. Now, you, you, these are pieces of legislation that could impact the entire state. What have outside of Chicago, what areas have also started to use TIF districts more for economic development? And uh, is Chicago setting an example for those areas of how to misuse TIF districts? So there are thousands of TIF districts, TIF districts, excuse me, in the entire state. Um, and of course, again, only 143 belong to Chicago. So clearly other municipalities have caught on to what this 
uh, economic tool is. Um, and many of them may use it properly, but many of them don't. Like uh, thinking about Belleville, Belleville uh, decided to put uh, a lot of TIF dollars into uh, a Hofbräuhaus house down there, uh, which they said they so desperately needed and to bring in uh, new people and try to come up with a whole agreement of where all of these tax dollars are going to go. Um, I actually don't think that uh, facility, which uh, I think they had said they had said they were going to try and open a couple of years ago. I don't think it's open yet. I don't think it's been built. I think they're still building it. It's It's been a boondoggle for them down there. Um, and there are stories like that all across the state because once a politician realizes they've got an opportunity to uh, spend what I call free money, that's what they think it is, is free money, um, they're going to do it. Yeah, and and I don't think a, a German restaurant as good as Hofbrauhaus House might be is going to turn around the Metro East area necessarily and, and bring people into there. Um, but like you said, for politicians, that's a cool tool for them is to you know, promote, especially in like an election year, not to get too political, but to promote this economic development that's going to come down the line. Um, one area that's used this a ton is right outside of Chicago in the village of Rosemont, which only has about 4,200 people. So I think taxpayers there aren't, it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but they have a baseball stadium they just built out of a TIF district. They have another, there's a Hofbrauhaus house there that's also built out of a TIF district. Um, it's the pretzels. They love the pretzels. Yeah, right. Um, so I think you, if you, if anyone's leaving Chicago or driving around uh, in the suburbs and they pass through Rosemont, you can see the results. I think they have eight TIF districts of a really small area of land. It's about one and a half square miles or two and a half square miles. Um, and you can see the results of that right there in that village. Um, that example, I mean, that's Rosemont's kind of known for, for its tourism and, and restaurants and hotels and I guess entertainment too. It, how does a village like that, is it still a negative then for them where they're, they're generating all this revenue from TIF districts? Well, I mean, you'd have to take a look at what's the impact on taxpayers um, and what's the impact on like their schools. Um, unfortunately, I can't speak to what their Rosemont schools look like or their school districts or if they're underfunded. Um, there's a good chance if it's in Illinois, it's underfunded right? Um, and that it's not doing particularly well. Um, it might be doing better than others. Uh, and then the same thing with taxpayers. Um, you know, it, it's easy to throw out all of these promises. Um, and I think one of the promises that uh, Rosemont does as well is uh, a property tax rebate. So they don't care that their property taxes are are going up and, and going to be among the highest uh, in the area, let alone highest in the nation, uh, because they've got a couple extra dollars coming back in their pocket from uh, the mayor over there. And uh, I, I guess it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like in magic. It's, uh, it's sleight of hand. It's take a look at what's going on in my left hand, but ignore what's going on in my right. And that's part of the reason I wanted to bring up Rosemont too, is th they had the property tax rebate. So taxpayers, like I've communicated with taxpayers in the area who don't seem too upset about the the deals the village makes because they get the property tax rebate. But just part of what it says about, if you look at the some of the businesses in Rosemont that have gotten TIF incentives, you have hotel chains, uh, people who own the new baseball team there. Th these are wealthier 
businesses, developers who don't necessarily need that incentive. And thinking back to Chicago, I mean, what are some of the big companies that have benefited greatly from TIF? To, and this kind of put, paints a, a, a better picture for people that have benefited from TIF incentives in the city. Well, can I take a step back about Rosemont? Sure, yeah. One of the ones that you didn't mention that uh, almost certainly got money as Hoffbar? part of that com- complex, not a Hopper House, uh, the Kardashians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they've got that sugar factory yes. there or whatever. Uh Almost certainly, they might have gotten something there. I mean, sure. I can't. I think say I think certain, a majority but. of Rosemont is tiff. So yeah, Kim, Kim Kardashian get, gets. So that. congratulations, uh, <laughs> Rosemont. You are paying for Kim Kardashian. Uh, that's congratulations. So in Chicago, then. Uh, so in Chicago, they've done uh, a, a bunch of different entities. So like, for example, United moved from O'Hare uh, to downtown, and they moved actually a couple times downtown, and they've gotten money uh, to build out. Um, the uh, Sears Tower, uh, their facilities in the Sears Tower, after they had moved from another place on Wacker, uh, they got money. Um, I, I believe that they're getting money, but I'm not 100% certain. But McDonald's in moving from Oak Brook is, is getting TIF incentives to build out their new campus uh, in the West Loop. Um, I mean, any of these hotels that you can think of that are hotel chains uh, big national hotel chains, uh, if they are rehabilitating their rooms or uh, doing a new complex, they're getting TIF funds as well. Um, and so you're talking about millions and millions of dollars that are going to these, uh, pardon me for almost sounding like I'm uh, coming out of Team America World Police, but you got these multinational corporations acting all corporation-y and uh, taking advantage of these uh, TIF incentives, uh, which again are a disadvantage for taxpayers who have to make it up and for school kids who unfortunately don't get the money they need for their education. Do you get a sense of how many taxpayers understand that though? Uh I, I would say jokingly zero. Um but and in part I mean, because it's it's a complicated system. And like you mentioned at the outset that they change the name of the department over and over again. Like it just, it's, it's really hard thing to wrap your mind around. Yeah. I mean, it's intentionally difficult to understand because if you don't understand, let me take a step back. Chicago has an old adage when it comes to politicians and when it comes to raising taxes and fees, which is if the taxpayer doesn't understand it or has a difficult time understanding it, it's a good tax or it's a good fee and we'll pass it. But if they easily understand it, you better avoid it, which is why for so many years, uh, Mayor Daley wanted nothing to do with raising property taxes for the city of Chicago. He raised property taxes for CPS because he's in charge of CPS and uh, could raise that levy, but didn't do it for the city of Chicago because he knew if he did, he would have a revolt on his hands. Um, but you get a, a program like TIF that outside of uh, I'm thinking of one journalist in particular from an alt uh, publication uh, who writes about TIFF a crazy amount um, and a couple of people who have made it their life's work to try and crusade against TIFF. Few people understand it. Uh, developers get it because they see money going into their pocket, but the taxpayers, they don't because they don't see this program um, on a regular basis, and they only hear about it when something goes wrong, like with uh, the Ferris wheel at Navy Pier and the whole uh, porting MPEA porting money from the DePaul Stadium complex, which 
bravo city of chicago that was tiff money well spent on that complex look at all the fans that are going to see depaul basketball and to see i mean quite frankly the top basketball team not only in the city of chicago <laughs> but clearly the country uh, i can't think of any other basketball college, collegiate basketball team in the country or in the excuse me in the city that did better than depaul did this past season it, so. i mean it's a wonder to me i mean depaul yeah. is clearly head and shoulders <laughs> above every other uh college basketball team in the state let alone the city just an aside this has nothing to do with policy but i went to Wintrust arena once this past season when they played my alma mater marquette and uh they did not they were not prepared for the amount of fans that were there at the time because a lot of uh people from Milwaukee or Marquette fans in the Chicagoland area went and it was way too crowded on the concession stands and I had a miserable time so money well spent but I, I mean I well I should also say it, that might be indicative of DePaul because if you ever went to the Allstate Arena uh, or Rosemont yeah. Horizon if you if you will uh, before uh, when they were running things there like it was a disaster when you would go see games there because first off if it was anybody other than Marquette or Notre Dame, or occasionally like Georgetown, mm -hmm. nobody would go to those games. And then you'd get like those three games a year where everybody would go, and then they're running it's around chaos. like chickens yeah. with their heads cut off because they have no idea how to deal with this. So then, fans. so that makes DePaul a worthy recipient of TIFF dollars. Absolutely, well, money well spent. So I, I like what you said about uh, it's a, a tax that you can't understand is a good thing for pol or a thing politicians in Chicago want to pass. Because just think back to the ones that have caused the most outrage in Cook County, the soda tax. Incredible national story because people could easily get their minds around the fact that there's a few cents added to their, their purchase when they buy a sugary beverage. I think people sort of gravitate toward the ride-sharing tax because people take Uber and Lyft all the time. Probably on Airbnb too, the more they learn about that. Um, property, Ron Manuel raising property taxes over, the, over a five-year period. Water and sewer, some of these... To varying levels are easier to understand, but the idea—if you just explain to any family in Chicago that your kid's school is going to be losing money in the next year because Kmart or the United United Airlines needs to have their share—no one would would support that. Just the same way that ninety percent of people were against the soda tax. Yeah, I mean it's it's astounding when you think about it because you know the sentiment in Chicago and nationally and and. This is not an indictment of this sentiment, but it's to defend schools and to defend teachers. But what they don't consider is that, again, there are all of these other factors that are pulling away from what could support a teacher in her classroom, uh, what could uh, help a child uh, get more funding so that they can you know, be on par with some of these other school districts. You think of uh, not far from... Chicago, you think of districts like Glenview and uh, the new Trier School District where these kids are afforded everything that can help them in their education, um, not just talking about teachers, but talking about actual money spent in the classroom. And that's because it's been a priority. But while in other parts of the city and the state, the priority has been politicians either helping themselves or helping their friends um, and so when we say slush fund not just for this mayor but the previous mayor um, this has been a tool where their buddies their donors their their pals who work in development get a kickback 
um, and they get a kickback at the at the expense of the taxpayers who have no idea that the reason their sales tax is the highest in the nation is because they've got to fund all of these different things that TIF is taking money away from. And part of the reason they don't understand that is because the system is too complicated intentionally. Right. I mean, if you if if I took the definition of TIF as as laid out in the state law and put it in front of 10 people from across the city, I think maybe two might understand it. And that's not to say that, you know, Chicagoans are dumb and don't understand things. That's quite the opposite. It's that this language is intentionally difficult to understand because they don't want folks to start questioning what this program is and what it does. And uh, you mentioned you have examples all across, throughout the suburbs of schools that are performing better than probably some CPS schools. You mentioned Nutrier up there, the opportunities that they're afforded. They're not afforded the Hofbra House, I don't believe, in Winneka, <laughs> so I think that's the uh, counterpoint. But back, the legislation that you mentioned, uh, the two bills, just so people are aware, um, what do they, they do again, and how would they help reform the system? So the, they do two different things. Number one, they change the definition of blight to mean that it's 100% area median income, which is determined by the federal government. Um, and so uh, those areas that are having a most difficult time, and even if they're industrial, uh, they would pull from the areas surrounding, which are typically having a difficult time as well. Um, and so it makes it that if you're going to put a TIF in place, it is actually blighted. It's not the LaSalle Central District. Um, uh or any of the other TIFs that are located around the loop. And the other element that it does is, uh, which we haven't even talked about, is it, it prevents money from being ported from one TIF to another. So, so how, right does, now, how does that work? So right now, if you have two TIFs, which are next to each other, which are separated only by the right of way, you can take money from TIF number one and move it over to TIF number two to be spent there. So... Uh, a good example of this is to think about um, in the South Loop, uh, right along the river, there's uh, a place that's called Rescoville, uh, named infamously after Tony Resco, who owned that property, uh, who, of course, has uh, seen some uh, legal troubles, sold it to somebody, uh, um, I don't remember what nationality he is, uh, a, a Middle Eastern man who also found himself in troubles and so he sold it as well and this area was the largest undeveloped piece of land in the city of chicago uh right along the river and just south of roosevelt and uh finally they've been trying to develop it for years and years and years and they finally have made way that they're going to develop it, and they've started actually bulldozing the area uh so that part part of it is actually part of the south loop tip um, but there are other TIFs that are surrounding it as well. And so what they can do is they can take money from one of the other uh, TIFs that are next door to this TIF and say, we're going to give $2 million from this other TIF into the South Loop TIF for this development for Rescoville. What that means is um, if you happen to be in one of the other TIFs that is neighboring to that TIF, you would have expected that that TIF money would go to develop your area to benefit you in your area. But actually it's developing somebody else's area and somebody else's neighborhood, which means that again, now 
while you were out money to begin with, with the TIF program, now you're out even more money because the money's going to help somebody else. So in a way, it ultimately doesn't even matter what the borders are to the TIF district. It only matters insofar as you can only port uh, into areas uh, separated by a public way. So I could not port money from Rogers Park down to Inglewood sure. by way of you know 15 different TIFs. Uh, but I could take money from, you know, if uh, like in the Bronzeville area, which is close to the South Loop area, we could port money from one to the other that way. Yeah, when you have 143 different TIF districts, that provides a lot of opportunities. You have lots of TIFs, so lots are connected by the public way, yeah. No, I I think this is something that would have bipartisan support when the issue is understood. How are those two pieces of legislation being uh, received in Springfield? Uh, well, if you take a look at what's happened over the past year, uh, since they were introduced at the beginning of this year of 2018, uh, they've been sitting in rules committee, uh, because, uh, it's my understanding that that's where the biggest, best pieces of legislation go to, uh, have their day in court, so to speak. Uh, actually, no, that's not, that's not true at all. Um, <laughs> I don't want to confuse folks. Right, with your somebody sarcasm. Might, somebody might be hearing this <laughs> and thinking like, oh, that's that's actually a great idea. All the best legislation yeah, yeah, goes yeah. to the Rules Committee. Uh, no, for, for one reason or another, and it's probably because uh, there may be pressure from uh, the mayor uh, and the fifth floor in Chicago and uh, the Municipal League, which is in huge support of TIFs uh, on behalf of their constituents, which are towns and villages and municipalities across the state. Um, Speaker Madigan put the kibosh on it and said, this is not going to be heard. Uh, and probably similar in the Senate as well with uh, Senator Cullerton killing that bill uh, in that chamber. But shouldn't suburban and downstate lawmakers kind of rally around this? Well, some of them feel like they're getting their benefits as well. Uh, you know, some of the legislators that we talked to uh, during the process said, that's great. That's a great idea. I really like it, but I'm worried it's going to hurt my town or village or, you know, the place where I live because they're all looking out for themselves too, mm-hmm. um, which makes it a very difficult thing because nobody wants to be the one to say, I'm going to quote unquote, take money away from my town to fix this problem. In reality, they're not taking money away from their town. They're fixing the problem to say, we're not kicking the can down the road anymore. We are going to focus on today and we're going to focus on the realities of our budget today, which I should add, you know, one of the things that TIF supporters love to say in support of this program is that well, this is just benefiting these areas. And so when the TIF expires in 23 years, or if, you, if they get the additional 12 years uh, time, uh, that all of that money, all of that additional valuation that has taken place over the course and the life of the TIF is now going to go to the taxing body. But the reality is that these politicians are fooling everybody by saying, we don't care about school kids today. We only care about school kids 23 years in the future or 30 years in the future. So your kids may be in school today. We don't care about your kids. We care about your kids' kids. Yeah, next generation. And that's not fair. How is that fair to these kids who 
they didn't choose when they were born, like what year they were born. They just happen to be born in this generation where money is being taken out of their hands and their education. Yeah, and they say that now, but 23 years from now, they're going to forget that they said that 23 years prior. There's a new TIF, maybe a new alderman who has a new priority, and then it's the next generation. Kicking the can, like so many of the city's problems, it's like kicking the can to the next, the next generation, kicking the problem down the road. I mean, and it's, it's interesting when you think about some of the politicians who have been around since the, uh, I said, maybe say the way that the TIF program has flourished since the 90s. And there are quite a few aldermen who have been around since that time. Um, so they've seen the entire process through. Uh, they may or may not be around. Uh, you know, they, many of them will not be around 23 years from now. I mean, just simple math and uh, timelines. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they've seen the whole process through. They've seen a whole generation, actually probably two generations, have to suffer through uh, their education. Uh, being taken away, uh, limited, I guess might be the best way to put it. And they don't seem to mind. So there's still an uphill battle then, given the Chicago political culture, and which trickles down to Springfield. What sense of optimism might you have, though, moving forward, that some reforms can be implemented on TIFF? I, I think that especially, I mean, I'm, let me say, I'm the life of a party, uh, when I start talking about TIFF and explaining TIFF to folks at, at, a, at a party, uh, they which can't I'm, get enough of which it. Which I'm sure you do often. Oh, all the time. I mean, why would you not talk about TIFF? Mm-hmm. And uh, they can't get enough of it, and they love to stick around me for hours at a time and talk about TIFF. Um, sarcasm again. Um, but uh, in reality, when they do actually hear about it, they're astounded that this program can continue. Uh, especially when it's explained to them about what it does and what effects it has on schools and school kids. And so I have to say I'm kind of hopeful, especially as people get educated on the, on the matter, that they're willing to actually fight back and say, you know what, this is actually real bad. We didn't know about it before, and that's why we kind of let you have your, your day because we didn't take the time to think about it. But now it's bad and we want nothing to do with it. So that gives me a little bit of hope. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle to be sure. Just like you said, but um, as more people get educated on the matter, they're going to want to fight back because they're going to want to have their kids and their grandkids have good schools and have uh, a good education uh, that some of these other towns and villages across the state actually get. All right. Chris Lentino, director of outreach, Illinois policy. Thanks so much. Thanks. To read more about TIF districts and to find out more about the legislation mentioned in this episode, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. Also consider joining our private activist group, The Lincoln Lobby, to learn more about how you can take action on this issue and fight for TIF district reform. Until next time, this has been The Policy Shop.